c'est vrai. Je suis un ananas. Now, in the uh, towers of uh, Edmonton... I'm not a Tory. I don't speak on both sides. I do not use crack cocaine, nor am I an addict of crack cocaine. Welcome back to Fat, French, and Fabulous. I'm Jessica. And I continue to be Janelle, despite my best efforts. I have yet to phase into another life or form of matter. (laughs) So until I can successfully turn myself into plasma, I'm still here hosting this podcast. Uh, You'll make it one day, Janelle. (laughs) You'll make it one day. Uh, if Uh, If you can make it in New York, then you can turn into goo. (laughs) <laughs> if you can aerosolize there, you can aerosolize anywhere. <laughs> I, I think that's what they tell you when you move here. <laughs> <laughs> They're like, yeah, you're never going to be famous. Best to just turn into a vapor. <laughs> you're going to turn into a hollow ball of hot gas, kid. <laughs> you're going to be great one day. You're going to be hot stuff. <laughs> I'm glad that we've added a New York accent to your repertoire. I'm very proud. <laughs> up until up until now, it's just been Winston Churchill and yourself. So, mm. I I also do a passable Mickey Mouse, but it's been banned. It's horrifying. It gives me nightmares. It gives my dog nightmares. Ooh. It makes my boyfriend want to immigrate back to France. It's uh, <laughs> it's not fine. Yeah. And speaking of things that are unbelievably far from fine, today we are on our second part uh, of Megumi y- y- Yakota. Yeah, speaking of things that aren't fine, being kidnapped by the North Koreans, which luckily has not happened to either of us yet, but we only just, uh, just released part one. It's only been up for 24 hours at this point, so uh, I'm in danger. (laughs) We both live on the coast. coast. Yeah, well, you're the the closest to them, but we both live on the coast. At any point, like, a bunch of Jap- You're so snatchable. (laughs) Yeah, a bunch of North Korean operatives could just get off the Staten Island ferry and whisk me away to a new life. Like, I gotta be nervous when I'm watching around, uh, walking along the beach. <laughs> well, until we get kidnapped by the North Koreans, we are here to bring you more information about the North Korean kidnappings of Japanese and other citizens. And where we left off last week, the North Koreans admitted to kidnapping 13 Japanese citizens, but the announcement went over so incredibly poorly that they decided to just shut the fuck up and never mention it ever again. Um, yeah, it didn't so much go down like a lead balloon as it went down like the fucking Hindenburg. <laughs> yeah, it's it's kind of like, you know, in, like, in, in middle school, if you, like, you know, you're supposed to, like, open up to people and, like, you're, you're trying to get closer to people by talking about your, your internal struggles and then, like, that one kid just admits that he has uncontrollable erections. It just, it drives everybody away. Yeah. It has the opposite oh, effect. Oh, yeah. This this is the uh, tell me how you really feel equivalent of then admitting to the person that you're talking to that you s- occasionally sneak into their house and sniff their panties. Like it, no. Yeah, you know, this Absolutely is a diplomatic not. dick pic. That's what this is. So unfortunately, after after being globally shamed for what they had done, North Korea decided to just pretend that none of this ever happened. So we don't have any further quote unquote official information from the North Koreans. Not that anything that they say can be trusted as official information, but we don't have anything coming straight from the mouth of the Kim family. Yeah, no matter what the North Koreans say, it's always official with air quotes. Yeah. I mean, we're getting kidnapped by the North Koreans anyway, we may as well double down on it. They're they're a useless, incompetent government and everything they say is lies. (laughs) 
So much of the information that we have about the life of Megumi Yakota and her ultimate fate and the fate of other people who were kidnapped alongside her, it, it doesn't come directly from government sources. It comes either from people who escaped, including the people who were allowed to leave North Korea and return to Japan, or from people... It, it, it comes from people who were allowed to visit their families. So North Korea does this really messed up thing where they have resorts at their borders that are just for people to visit kidnapped family members. Um... <laughs> So, like, the saddest place on Earth. Like, a reverse Disneyland. Yeah, it is. It's, it's like a Disneyland, except, like, you're seeing your long-lost family member again after 20 years, and in 72 hours, you'll never see them again. But they are dressed like Donald Duck. There's probably terrible animatronics. Um, <laughs> it's, <laughs> you know, there's at least one crying child. It's, got, it's pretty much know, the same thing. A haunting minor key version of It's a Small World plays in the background as you hug your loved ones for the last time. <laughs> yeah, all the food is overpriced. If you accidentally litter, they take you out back and shoot you in the head. <laughs> it's just like Disneyland, really. <laughs> um, I've, I've never been to Disneyland. They might pay their staff better. <laughs> a little bit. Ooh, now we're going to get kidnapped by Disney operators. That's worse. They have budgets. They're going to take us in front of Walt Disney's disembodied head. <laughs> they, you, if you're a good Disney cast member, you get to stick your hand in him and run him like a puppet. <laughs> you get to make his disembodied head say anti-Semitic things for your amusement. <laughs> so a lot of the information that is going to be in this podcast is tentative. It is stuff that we think or that we're piecing together but you should know that we don't really have conclusive evidence of the full story nobody has ever spoken to megumi yakota who is not currently imprisoned in north korea so take it with a grain of salt but abductees to north korea are believed to have been taken for one of three reasons older abductees are believed to have been taken so that spies could steal their identities they would kidnap these people uh because apparently north koreans have a very literal understanding of what identity theft is. Um, there's a less complicated way to do this than to bundle an old man onto a ship and go through his pockets for loose driver's licenses. But this is what they do. They would steal people. They would take the ID that they had on them at the time. Um, they would give it to a spy who kind of looked like them, and then they would use it in order to, like, assume a life in Japan and South Korea. And they did this quite successfully. People were able to get passports from some of these people. They could have literally just, like, faked the documents. <laughs> yeah, just commit forgery like everybody else. You don't actually need to take the person. You can commit identity theft without having to, like... This is far too high concept. Yeah, a person who wants to steal my identity can probably just Google it. I put way too much personal information on the internet. You don't literally have to kidnap me, put me in a basement, and then walk around in a fat suit and a wig. That's not required. <laughs> that's unnecessary. That's, that's a high effort You're kidnapping. You're overthinking that's a high it. Effort, high effort identity theft. Another purpose was that they were taken to become spouses for other people who had been abducted or um, held captive. North Korea is a heavily Weird. heavily ethno-nationalist state. They don't allow foreigners to taint the gene pool. They believe themselves to be sort of... I hate this terminology. They believe themselves to be kind of a master race. They believe that uh, the genes of other people are inferior. Even South Koreans, who are genetically identical to them. They've only been divided since 1953. <laughs> um, or, or 1945, I guess. So they, they don't allow North Koreans to marry non-North Koreans. So... 
we'll talk about this, but uh, a bunch of American spies accidentally defected to North Korea at the end of the North, uh, at the end of the Korean War, and they didn't want those men to just sort of run around unmarried, so they had to start taking Japanese girls, and then they took some Japanese men, and they needed wives too. The whole thing just kind of snowballed. You know how it is. Oh yeah, you know when you start when you start like kidnapping people, and you're just like, oh no, like what if the person in my the, the the screaming man in my basement gets lonely. Guess I'll have to kidnap another person. And then you got, like, a whole village down there. I mean, North Korea doesn't really have computers. If they want to play The Sims, it's got to get uncomfortably literal. <laughs> Put them in the pool, delete the ladder. Uh, it's, it's probably a North Korean execution. It's fine. Some people are believed to have been taken because they saw something that they weren't supposed to see. They accidentally saw something suspicious or the North Korean operative felt that their cover had been blown. So they just took whoever the fuck was nearby. And some were taken to become instructors at universities and spy training facilities. And Megumi actually ended up doing the latter. So after arriving in North Korea, Megumi was taken to an education center, which is in heavy air quotes. I mean, I, I had the restraint not to write brainwashing center, but you should hear it in my tone. Double ungood. Yeah, she, she was taken to a re-education center, which is not somewhere you ever want to go. Specifically for kidnapping victims, which makes it hard to believe that they only had 13 of them total. Yeah, like... You built them a school. Like, if you've got, like, <laughs> kidnapping re-education infrastructure, like, you don't do that for 13 people. Then it would just be, like, a re-education one-room schoolhouse. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you just stick them with a host family and wait for them to adapt like an obnoxious exchange student who comes home speaking with a French accent. That's all you gotta do. Barcelona. Um, <laughs> I want to punch you through a microphone. <laughs> but shortly after her arrival at the education center, um, she was taken there alongside two teenage kidnapping victims who hailed from South Korea. And then after she arrived, three more 16-year-olds from South Korea arrived as well. So Megumi was part of a cohort of six um, kidnapped children, and she was the only Japanese. North Korean abductions are believed to always be a matter of opportunity. It's We don't believe that North Korea, the, the North Koreans actually scoped out their victims in advance. We think they kind of just waited in the bushes and snatched the first person to walk by and hoped that they were helpful, which is honestly not a great strategy. But they, no. they, they, they sort of used like the claw machine approach to uh, to international kidnapping. They just You just get what you get. Whatever prize you get, that's what you get. At the training center, Megumi was taught to speak the Korean language and to learn and memorize North Korean philosophy. Kim Il-sung wrote a lot of North Korean philosophy. Most of it is bonkers. She was forced to memorize large portions of it. After becoming sufficiently situated in North Korea, she reportedly became an instructor for North Korean spies. So apparently, she was tasked with teaching future North Korean spies how to speak and write Japanese. She was also tasked with teaching them about different aspects of Japanese culture and life in a capitalist society so that they could infiltrate Japan and pass as Japanese citizens without being caught. The kidnapping of Megumi Yakota... I mean, this is a terrible plan in general. Don't kidnap people, then force you to teach them how to blend. They're gonna teach you some weird shit on purpose just to fuck with you. <laughs> and also, like, fashion changes quickly. Can you imagine if, like, right now your only source of information about... North America with somebody who'd been kidnapped from here in 2011, you're gonna stand out if you're walking around in 2019 screaming YOLO at confused passersby. <laughs> People will get suspicious. Never mind if the person you kidnap is just somewhat eccentric. <laughs> you're gonna get here on our shores, find out that Justin Bieber found God, and you're, you're gonna be back to square one. Justin Bieber found God? 
Justin Bieber is is a heavily religious man now. See, even you didn't know. Where was God hiding? In like <laughs> at the bottom of a, like a bucket of Mountain Dew? Actually, I take it back. I'm gonna kidnap somebody and force them to teach you about your own culture. <laughs> I'm go- I'm gonna admit I have not been paying to- attention to Justin Bieber ever. I don't even think I've heard one of his songs all the way through. And you know what? I'm thankful for that. <laughs> no, thanks to Canadian content laws, I'm almost certain that you have. I don't know. I haven't listened to the radio regularly since the like the early aughts. <laughs> because there's a distinct chance that you do this podcast from the remote lighthouse that you are tasked with keeping. Your entire life in Vancouver is an elaborate lie. You're a lighthouse keeper on an island that's never been inhabited by anything but cows. <laughs> People bring you supplies every four weeks. That's how you like it. The, the individual I keep referring to him as my roommate is actually just like an unusually friendly heifer that occasionally tries to eat my hair. It's the best life we could dream of for you. <laughs> you can't be released back into the wild. You missed the socialization window. <laughs> I, I, I only sort of speak English. I mostly speak gull. <laughs> this, is, this could be an all gull podcast. So this is this is a bizarre thing. The kidnapping of Megumi Yakota didn't make a lot of sense for numerous reasons. As we've already mentioned, her young age makes her unusual. As a 13-year-old from a small seaside village, she really wouldn't have been in a prime position to teach others about how to blend into like Tokyo society. That's it's not helpful. It it wasn't really clear what they were hoping to learn from her. I at the age of 13 I didn't know how to ride a city bus or pay taxes. All I knew how to do was like cry and listen to Linkin Park. I would have been completely useless at training a spy how to infiltrate Canada unless those spies were specifically hoping to blend in at a Mariana's Trench concert. That's the only setting in which I would have been any help at all. The other reason that her kidnapping was so incredibly bizarre was that for starters most North Koreans at the time already spoke Japanese. Yeah. There was no need to kidnap tutors for it. They'd literally just come out of Japanese rule. Yeah, at the time of her kidnapping, it had only been 32 years since North Korea was occupied by Japan and forced all residents to learn the language. So everybody, like, in their mid-30s and up spoke at least some Japanese already. Yeah, just find an old man. You don't need to start kidnapping little girls off the street. Also, there are tens of thousands of Koreans living in Japan who are loyal to North Korea. Many of them are associated with an organization called Chongyon, which functions as North Korea's unofficial embassy in Japan. So there was a ton of fluent Japanese speakers to choose from who already lived in major Japanese cities and had for their entire lives, who did not require any kidnapping at all. They just needed a plane ticket and a snack for the ride. Like that's... <laughs> The snack's almost optional. It's not a long trip. Yeah, they'll just come teach you. It's... They're they're down with it. Like why do you why do you need a thirteen year old girl? What are you what are you doing? So there's been some debate as to why Megumi was taken at a much younger age than other victims. Most North Korean and Japanese kidnapping victims were in their twenties at the time that they disappeared. It's believed that Megumi may have accidentally observed some activity by North Korean agents that she wasn't supposed to see and that she was taken because of this. So she she may have been an unintentional victim, or she may have just been the first person to wander by and they were like, well, fuck it, I guess. We don't know. We'll probably never know. And we don't even know for sure who took her. She's believed to have been taken by a North Korean agent named Shin Gwangsu, who successfully posed as both a Japanese and South Korean national in order to carry out kidnappings, but who knows? I mean, he's been arrested. In, he was arrested in South Korea for other kidnappings, but North Co- former North Korean spies are very secretive. 
What we do know is that in 1986, Megumi married a South Korean national named Kim Young-nam, who was also a kidnapping victim. He was actually one of the 16-year-old kidnapping victims who was taken to the education center shortly after her arrival. Even though they knew each other their entire stay in North Korea, though, it's, it's unlikely that this is any kind of love story. North Korea is very fond of arranging matches between their kidnapping victims like they're having a Barbie wedding. <laughs> now kiss. <laughs> yes, now kiss. Here's your house. This is like, they're basically playing Polly Pocket with their kidnapping victims, which is a reference that immediately dates me, but that's, that's fine. <laughs> Frankly, anybody Thanks, under Grandma. the age of 16, nobody under 16 should be listening to this podcast. Absolutely not. Um, if you didn't get that last joke, turn off, turn off the podcast. Escape with your innocence. Flee. Flee before Jessica starts talking about using a strap-on on the queen. That's not the, that's not a using the strap-on on the queen noise. I don't know what that is. It's a gull. <laughs> I told you, I'm fluent. <laughs> There's a distinct chance that you were raised by gulls, and that your mother only, like, took you back as an adult because she was ashamed of what she had done. <laughs> I was a child of the woods. But I, I, I'm further, I'm further offended that you would say I would use a strap-on on the queen. Lizzie Tops. No. Her no. royal majesty wears the belt. Oh, it's really hot, so I drank too much of my water to drown myself in a Starbucks mug. <laughs> oh, I'm mad. Oh, I crave death. I crave it so. Oh. Bye, kids. No. No, alright, you just make gull noises. Um, ah! In 1987, Megumi gave birth to a daughter whose name was initially reported to be Kim Hye-gong, which was later reported to be King Kim Yoon-gong. Why live? Who knows? It's North Korea. Maybe they just didn't remember. Accordion solos and lies for everybody. Like They wrote it down they wrong. They have census records. They only, they only printed the birth certificate like 10 years later. Honestly, their entire paperwork department is probably a literal seagull just pecking at a laptop connected to the country's only inkjet printer. Like, there's, they're not on top of it. I'm, I'm willing to bet that, like, all the official documents in North Korea are just made directly from default Word 2003 templates. So is Megumi still alive? That's kind of the big question that we have. Japanese citizens and the international community at large do not believe that Megumi died by suicide as in 1997, as it was reported, um, or 1994, and it's widely believed that she is still alive and trapped in North Korea, and for whatever reason, they are choosing not to admit that they still have her. The, the North Koreans have been, have been less than forthcoming with their information about not only Megumi, but about anybody they took. So, for instance, despite North Korea's statement that they only took 13 citizens, Japan suspects that the number of Japanese citizens kidnapped by North Korea may number in the hundreds. There are at least 70 disappearances from the 1970s and 1980s that took place near water that they now strongly suspect were carried out by North Korea. They all have very similar modus operandi to the 13, and they all left similarly baffling lack of evidence. Japan's also not the only country whose citizens were taken. It is estimated that 3,800 South Koreans have been kidnapped since the mid-70s, with most of those kidnappings taking place in the 1970s and early 80s. This is like a natural disaster. Yeah, this is basically like Hurricane Kim Jong-un. This is, this is Boxing Day tsunami numbers. Like, this is... <laughs> <laughs> the, when the big earthquake finally hits California, it's, it's going to struggle to top these numbers. When you talk about, like, 3,800 people being taken, 
Like, you would assume there was, like, a tornado. <laughs> That's like if they stole my parents' town. Yeah! This is like if they just sawed Lunenburg off the edge of Nova Scotia, Looney Tunes style, and just tugboated it over to North Korea. Some of them have managed to escape or have been let go, particularly from South Korea, but there are 489 known South Korean kidnapping victims who are still being held by North Korea as of 2006, and there are hundreds more suspected. Unlike the Japanese victims, however, North Korea claims no responsibility for kidnapping South Koreans, which is bold. <laughs> they claim that there are zero South Korean kidnapping victims living in North Korea, which is a bald-faced lie. They're like, isn't there, like, one just, like, a South Korean right under your bed? I can see it from here. See her from here. Nope. No idea what you're talking about. <laughs> yeah, they're just making this announcement from a throne of South Koreans kneeling down. Yeah. <laughs> so Kim Jong-un can sit on their backs. You know, like, I don't know what the state of public education is like in, in North Korea. From my understanding, it's mostly praising dear leader and playing the accordion. But, like, how bad is your math when you struggle to tell the difference between 500 and zero? <laughs> yeah, That's just, a tough that one. That is a hell of a rounding error. They are also known to have taken at least one Thai national, a 23-year-old massage therapist named Anocha Panjoy, who remains missing. Honestly, her case could be an episode entirely unto itself. But like Megumi, she was snatched while walking on the street. No known information about her whereabouts after 1989 is available, and North Korea denies that she was ever there. It's amazing that you could just kidnap a random Thai person and just happen to get a masseuse. That's just stereotypical. Oh, come on. She's not that kind of masseuse. <laughs> that's that's not a skill they were in the market for. That's not how you... I'm willing to bet this story doesn't have a happy ending. Oh, no. No, I can't decide if you need more sex ed or less sex ed. If I need to just, like, men in black all your memories of sex ed away, I can't tell which is worse. It's not how you build an autocratic empire, Jessica. Not on the backs of massage therapists. But even bolder than stealing a Thai citizen is the fact that they have stolen at least nine Europeans. I mean, it's, it's not that that's... Stealing a European is worse than stealing a Southeast Asian. It's just that this is more complicated. It's more complicated. These are these are much scarier governments who have much less tolerance for the Kim family's bullshit. They're not within shooting range. No, they're not. Most of the Europeans taken are believed to be tourists and backpackers who were traveling in Southeast Asia at the time of their disappearances. One woman that they're pretty sure that they have is Romanian artist Doina Bumbi, who disappeared from Italy in 1978. So the, the North Koreans actually have a much broader range than you expect. It's fully feasible that they will kidnap me from Fifth Avenue tomorrow. Hell of a network. Hey, maybe you can I go know. disappear from the exact same place that Dorothy Arnold did. I'm just gonna go stand on the corner of 23rd Street outside the Chipotle that she disappeared from and just go take me, fuckers. I'm gonna eat this half-chicken, half-steak bowl and wait for my fate. I will go to my destiny with burrito in hand. <laughs> um, Doina Bumby could honestly be her own episode again, but she's believed to have been kidnapped by a North Korean spy living in Italy who began a romantic relationship with her and then offered her the chance to display her art in Japan. She disappeared from an airport during a layover on the way to Japan and ended up in Pyongyang, where she was married off to an American soldier who had defected to North Korea during the Korean War. She got she she got not only catfish, she got North Korea fish. <laughs> 
Swipe left. Mm. Swipe left. I mean, sometimes you're lucky when it's just a shitty 14-year-old boy on the other end of the line pretending to be a model. Best case scenario, it's just an angry incel using another man's profile picture. Worst case scenario, your family never hear from you again, and you don't even get your own Dateline episode. <laughs> If I'm if I'm going to disappear forever, I demand that Lester Holt give me adequate coverage on 48 Hours Mystery. Otherwise, I'm coming back. It wouldn't be right otherwise. <laughs> this wasn't worth it at all. If I get murdered in the woods, I need you to care. <laughs> I want to be famous. I need the silky voice of Keith Morrison to narrate my disappearance. Uh, it, it would just be my luck. It's just going to be Nancy Grace asking extremely <laughs> strange questions directly into camera. That would just, just be my luck. But in addition to the, the Romanian citizen that they took, reports from survivors indicate that there are captives from Lebanon, Thailand, Romania, China, Malaysia, Singapore, France, Italy, the Netherlands, and Jordan living in North Korea. So they've got their own little international school going on. Yeah. It's like a... You know, it's like an Olympic village, only horrifying and non-consensual. This is the most literal model UN I've ever heard. <laughs> again, North Korea. This is this is not literal. We are the world. <laughs> you can do... You can just pretend. You don't have to actually kidnap a representative from France. They also have possible captives from Spain, Syria, and Germany. So they're... I mean, they think people are Pokemon. They just gotta catch them all. The moment they get someone from Liechtenstein, their collection will be complete. <laughs> that's that's the legendary, just like a person yeah. from Liechtenstein. Oh yeah, just super rare. <laughs> Especially if you can get like a shiny version. Is that like, okay, are albinos the shiny Pokemon version of human beings? That sounds like a hate crime, Jessica. <laughs> what you just said is probably a hate crime in several continents. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, I'm not suggesting we should eat them for luck. They should be grateful. What version of Pokemon did you play? No, that's something few people do with albinos. Oh no, I'm sad. <laughs> oh no. Let's let's get back to talking about people whose lives were stolen from them. That'll cheer me up. So much of what we know about the North Korean abduction program comes from the memoirs of Charles Robert Jenkins, and I highly recommend them. Fascinating book if you want an inside look at North Korea. He was an American soldier who deserted the U.S. Army and crossed the DMZ into North Korea during the Korean War and surrendered to North Korean forces. And this is what we mean by American soldiers accidentally defecting to North Korea. When he surrendered to North Korea, he hoped that the North Koreans would turn him over to the Soviets, who would eventually negotiate his return to the United States. Um, what he didn't anticipate was that they would just sort of keep him for 40 years. That's not what he was aiming for. Oh, no. Um, the American soldiers who did this um, did so because they were afraid that they would be sent to Vietnam after the conclusion of the Korean War. They were off by about 10 years, but... Reasonable fear. Yeah, they deserted in order to be sent back to the United States without being restationed in Vietnam. But instead, yeah, no, they got their entire adult lives stolen from them. Jenkins was married off to one of the kidnapped Japanese citizens, 21-year-old Hitomi Soga, who, who did survive. And he lived in North Korea before managing to leave with his family to Japan in 2004. His wife was one of the five Japanese citizens who was allowed home for a visit. And eventually he managed to negotiate an escape with his children via a third party. He actually rejoined his wife in Japan. He presented himself to the Americans and served a sentence for desertion and continues to live with his wife and children in Japan, probably held together by part love, part habit, and part deep emotional trauma. Mm. 
It's like Stockholm Syndrome, but the person you fall in love with is the other kidnapped victim. Is there a word for that? Because, like, I'm aware of, like, Stockholm Syndrome, which is where, like, you fall in love with the kidnapper, and Lima Syndrome was where the kidnapper falls in love with you, but I'm not quite sure what happens when you fall in love with the other kidnappy. Is there a word for that? It's sad, Jessica. It's 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 making the best of a bad situation. Oh yes, that's what the, you're the doing. The term is human tragedy. <laughs> yes. My favorite thing, though, to come out of the the North Koreans, and it's it's fun that you get to have a favorite North Korean kidnapping victim. There is a decent chance that the North Koreans kidnapped a Mormon elder, and Brigham Young. I'm not making any of this they shit up. They kidnapped a Mormon. The plot of the broad- They stole a Mormon. <laughs> This is actually more ridiculous than the plot of the Book of Mormon on Broadway, which I saw and which Jessica needs to be starring in. That role was written for you. You are Elder Cunningham through and through. I um, haven't even met the creators of South Park, but they have me down. I I got into that Broadway show within five minutes. I was like, holy shit, Jessica's been living a lie. She's been in New York the entire time starring on Broadway. And then I realized that it was actually just a middle-aged, overweight man. <laughs> it's a fine line. It's a fine line. It's... You can never quite tell the difference. But yeah, there's a good to fair chance that the North Koreans kidnapped a Mormon elder and Brigham Young University student named David Snedden, and that this is the person who taught English to Kim Jong-un and his siblings. And I'm not making this up because I couldn't. I couldn't make up anything this fascinating. Snedden had completed a two-year Mormon mission in South Korea and spoke fluent Korean as a result. And at the age of 24, the summer after his junior year at BYU, he traveled to China to get a head start on learning Mandarin, which was something that he planned to do during his senior year. He disappeared while walking a very easy sightseeing walking trail along a scenic gorge. This is, this is not a hiking trail people disappear from. This is, this is one step up from a sidewalk in the city. Yeah, like, this is just an unusually picturesque running path. Central Park is an easier place to go missing. Like, this is not a place where people disappear from. A search for him turned up nothing, and the official Chinese version is that he must have slipped and fallen into the gorge and drowned, even though no body was recovered, and the gorge isn't particularly deep. It's it's not really hard to recover things that fall into it, typically. Yeah, hard to lose an entire Mormon. Yeah, it is difficult to misplace one whole Mormon. Even when you want them to leave. <laughs> They're hard people to lose. You think that's lose. how he got there? He just knocked on the front door of North Korea and was like, have you, heard, have you heard the news of Joseph Smith? Healthy living, they can run quite fast. <laughs> Just this Mormon in his little short sleeve white shirt tearing across the DMZ, dodging machine gun fire, copy of the Book of Mormon in one hand. Like, God will shield me, just runs. <laughs> <laughs> the entire world have failed to have any meaningful diplomatic relationship with North Korea, but God damn it, I'm going to be the one to infiltrate and tell them that God lives on a planet called Kolob. <laughs> <laughs> Yo, dedication to your faith is admirable. They need to know that... Jesus wants you to have your own planet when you die, as long as you have a penis. They will knock on any door, no matter how hard it is to get to. They will climb any mountain. They will cross any demilitarized zone. They're bringing you the good word. (laughs) I was going to say, like, follow any rainbow till they find their dream. (laughs) (laughs) Um, No, what they actually believe happened was that um, he he was said to have befriended 
a Korean woman living in China who was looking for a tutor for her children, and she told him that she wanted her children to have an American accent, and he disappeared shortly after meeting this woman. So the theory is that she was a North Korean operative who smuggled him away to North Korea. And escapees from North Korea, including Jenkins, have just... They keep reporting that there's a random fucking American Mormon dude walking around Pyongyang living in the Kim family's house, which is just an immensely confusing thing. It's hard to lose an entire Mormon, and that's not where you expect them to turn up. (laughs) (laughs) They get rarer the further you are from Utah, so one just chillin' in North Korea is pretty notable. I like to believe that they just just kept him wearing the same clothes. He's just in a clip-on tie and a short-sleeved white dress shirt. Like, they, they just assume that's, that, that's what Americans wear, you know? <laughs> that's that's the uniform. <laughs> For authenticity. Yeah, they just they just let him keep going door-to-door because they don't understand his needs and they think he'll die if, he, if they stop you know, him. It's, it's like when you put a leaf of grass in a, in a jar for uh, the weird bug you caught in the backyard. You know, you just try to keep him in as natural a habit as possible. <laughs> Feed him aphids, he'll be fine. <laughs> <laughs> Like he's a kidnapped ladybug. Excellent. <laughs> it just, it doesn't really shock me, though, that they managed to get a Mormon. Because, like, they call all of the fresh-faced, doe-eyed kids they send out into the world elder. But if you've ever met, like, he was 22, right? 24. 24. He was well within the age of idiocy. I'm 26 and I shouldn't be trusted to buy my own groceries. And especially, like, coming from, like, very particular insular religious communities, like... It wouldn't... Worldliness is not something they prioritize. No. Your average 24-year-old coming from a conservative insular religious community is not particularly world-wise and is almost encouraged to be naive about strangers asking for kindness. Yeah, so it kind of sounds like that's what happened. That somebody took advantage of his kindness, they scoped him out, realized that he had the qualities they were looking for, namely that he spoke English with an American accent. Kim Jong-il was obsessed with American culture and movies, and he reportedly wanted an American to teach his children English so that they could learn American culture and have American accents. He, He prioritized that. The U.S. government doesn't buy this theory, for the record, but several Asian organizations that specifically track down abducted North Korean kidnapping victims absolutely do. It's it's very unlikely that escapees from several countries would describe a man who is obviously Mormon and American living in Pyongyang. That's not a religion that people know much about outside of the Midwestern United it's States. It's so incredible. People in specific. New York City go see the Book of Mormon and come out going like, wait, how much of that was real? And the answer is all of yeah. it. Mormons absolutely believe that God changed his mind about black people in 1978. That's <laughs> that is canon. <laughs> that's that's it is canon Mormonism. Yeah, we're not we're not making that one up. No, um, but so it's it's not a religion that people would know about though. So the fact that people from South Korea and Japan and China and all these countries are are describing somebody who seems to fit David Stenden's description. It seems likely that they have him. And who else would it be? <laughs> like, <laughs> there's not a lot of loose Mormons. Yeah, hanging but we around. don't. They're like, they're not like quarters in your couch. <laughs> you can't just like. <laughs> we don't. You don't just like lose a Mormon in the sofa. <laughs> <laughs> I'd be very upset if I was just absentmindedly digging through somebody's couch cushions and found a Mormon in there. <laughs> yeah, it'd be distressing. <laughs> 
You've got to release them back into the wild. You know, Salt Lake City. They don't thrive in captivity. They've got a very specific home oh. range. No, they. Poor little guy. But yeah, several, several organizations based in Japan and South Korea and other Southeast Asian countries have him on the official list of North Korean kidnapping victims. So he is recognized as a victim. Whether or not he's actually there is something that we may never know. So when it comes to Megumi, nobody's buying that she died by suicide in 1994. That just, it, it doesn't pass the smell test. It's, most countries are operating under the assumption that she is still alive. And Japan definitely is. Um, Megumi was one of the faces of this kidnapping scandal when it first broke probably because she was the youngest and cutest victim, and everything about her quote-unquote death seems to be haphazard and sketchy. So whether she's dead or not is hard to say, but there is evidence that points both ways. So in 2006, Megumi's husband Kim Young-nam was permitted a visit with his South Korean family who asked questions about his famous Japanese wife. He repeated the official North Korean version of events. He said that Megumi had struggled with depression and that she had made several suicide attempts before successfully taking her own life in 1997 and dying in hospital. He said that the remains sent sent to Japan in 2004 were genuinely hers and that he had since remarried another woman. Megumi's parents don't believe any of that and they are not alone in their doubts. Kim Young-nam was under close supervision by the North Korean officials throughout this visit, and it's very unlikely that he was allowed to speak freely. Reportedly, when he talked about Megumi, he, quote, sounded as if he was reading off a script. Just like a 13-year-old in their first play, just going, oh yeah, she she died, my wife, ah, so sad. Oh no, Juliet, how could, you, how could you do that? Oh no. <laughs> Alas, poor Yorick, I, I knew him, Horatio. Well, we're mixing Shakespeare. These lips I kiss so often. See, that actually is Hamlet. Mm. Bubble, bubble, toil and trouble. Let's get some Macbeth in there, too. Just a (laughs) sad Shakespeare tragedy soup. But yeah, so Megumi's parents don't believe him, and part of that is because during the meeting, he gave his parents a wildly implausible story about how he ended up in North Korea in the first place. Kim Young-nam disappeared from a beach in 1978 at the age of 16. His disappearance was ruled an accidental drowning, although his body was never recovered. In actuality, he was almost certainly kidnapped from the beach and dragged to a waiting boat in the same way that Megumi was. What he told his parents during the visit, however, was that he had fallen asleep in a rowboat and accidentally drifted to North Korea, and that he had been heroically rescued off the coast of North Korea by the North Korean Coast Guard. Oh, I bet. Yeah, he just accidentally drifted there, and then they saved him. They did a Where did he get a rowboat? (laughs) More importantly, how did he get there without dying? Yeah. That's a 200-kilometer stretch of ocean. I don't even think the currents work like that. Mm. No, he's he's asking them to believe that he fell asleep and then drifted 200 kilometers, which is 120 miles, in a rowboat with no sails or oars without noticing. It's, it's pretty unlikely. Some people have reported that Kim Young-nam is now genuinely no- loyal to the North Koreans and that he has completely fallen in line with the North Korean regime. But if others, as others have pointed out, it's impossible to know his motives because he doesn't really have much of a fucking choice. He lives there and he's their prisoner. He has to go along with whatever they tell him, regardless of his true allegiances. We will dissolve you in a vat of nuclear waste if you don't say exactly what we want you to say. But go ahead, you know, speak freely. Although he'd honestly probably come up with a better lie by himself. <laughs> like, oh, it's impossible to think of a dumber lie. It's, 
It's one step up from saying that you were practicing your swimming and you just accidentally swam to North Korea. That's almost more believable, because at least then... Like, what the fuck? Something's propelling you. <laughs> How the fuck do you drift 120 miles? God knows. In 2011, a South Korean magazine obtained and published the 2005 directory of Pyongyang residents. The directory listed a woman named Kim Yoon Gong who had the same birthday as Megumi, and she was listed as living with a husband named Kim Young Nam, which, if you'll recall from five minutes ago, you fucking goldfish, <laughs> that's the name of Megumi's South Korean husband. The Japanese government obtained a copy of this directory from the magazine and analyzed it later that year. They confirmed that it was genuine, but they said that it was not enough to confirm or deny if the woman in the directory was Megumi, or to conclude if Megumi was still alive. Still, big if true, because this is nine years after the government claimed that she died. When North Korea was sort of confronted with this information, they insisted that the woman listed in the directory was actually Megumi's 24-year-old daughter, Kim Yoon Gong. They said, oh no, we lied about the name of her name initially, her name is really Kim Yoon Gong, and that's, that's her in the directory. At the time, Kim Yoon Gong was married and had a child of her own. In an effort to convince the Japanese government that they were telling the truth, the North Korean government told the Yakota family that they would allow them to meet Kim Yoon Gong in a neutral country. The government and family were initially wary of the offer, but eventually they agreed. Uh, Megumi's parents' desperation to have any kind of contact with, if not their daughter, the next best thing outweighed any kind of concern for safety, which is understandable. So M Megumi's parents met Kim Yoon Gong and her young daughter, which would be their great-grandchild, in Mongolia in 2015. Like the visit with Megumi's husband, this visit was closely supervised by North Korean officials. Kim Yoon Gong did not talk about her mother or the father of her child, and the Yakotas didn't press the issue, probably because they wanted to leave Mongolia alive. A universally understandable goal. <laughs> You know, we're just- we're not gonna press the issue. If- if she wants to talk about us in the presence of fully armed members of a hostile government, that's, you know, that's yeah, her business, yeah. but... In 2012, a South Korean organization that assists the families of kidnapped victims reportedly got a hold of official North Korean documents pertaining to Megumi's death. These documents also said that she died of depression, but they list her date of death as December 14th, 2004, which is, again, very different from what the Yakotas are told. That's a death date that's 10 years after the initial one that was given, and this is still before. 2004 is still a year earlier than the directory that lists a woman with her birth date living with her husband. Isn't that also the year that they, the North Koreans admitted to this shit? Uh, yes, it is. Huh. It is. So so it seems like maybe this is just a first draft of the death certificate where they were like, no, you dumbass, that's too suspicious. Cross it out. <laughs> Ten years ago. Like, North Korea, for a country that lies so much, has some of the worst liars in their employ that I've ever heard of. It's, it's, I mean, nobody calls them on it because it turns out that being, like, the only thing better than being convincing is being nuclear capable. <laughs> so... The problem is, though, is that we keep finding North Korean spies who are incredibly well integrated into their countries. Like, it's hilarious. Like, yes, they're an adorable nation of people who have no food and have fake shopping malls. But also, like, they've they've been terrifyingly good at sneaking into other countries and taking people. To the point that, like, we can't even tell how many captives they have within a thousand. What we do know, though, is that after returning to North Korea... 
Megumi Yokota's daughter, Kim Eun-gong, has been other, under incredibly close supervision by Kim Jong-un's sister, who is one of the highest-ranking people in the country. So she's being kept very close under the wing of the Kim family, and it's not entirely clear why they're doing that. They, it's not sure whether they want to prevent her from speaking, if they're worried about escape, or if they're planning to use her as some sort of pawn in negotiations with Japan. <clears throat> but we do know that both her and her child are now being directly overseen by Kim Jong-un's closest advisor. And the only sibling he hasn't killed. I don't know, he might he's, have He's got ones. two! He's got two! He only, he only he killed only the one. He only murdered the not... one. Who among us has not nerve-gassed a sibling in an airport? <laughs> right, right. Let Come he on. who is without nerve-gas cast the first stone. Um, <laughs> another big issue kind of that's pressing, though, is the issue of the DNA test that was done on Megumi's alleged remains. The Japanese government insists that the remains they were sent in 2004 were not a match for the Yokota family, but a 2005 article in the journal Nature called the entire testing process into question. And for those of you who have never tried to publish in a scientific journal, this is like the ultimate scientific smackdown. Mm. Being called out by Nature is like if the BBC decided to run an entire feature on why your WordPress blog sucks. This is a smackdown. 12-page feature in The Economist talking about your gormless-ass inability to, like, <laughs> inability to manage your own money. <laughs> yeah, it's like if the New York Fashion Week was just people picking apart your outfits. It's Nature is one of the most prestigious science journals on the planet. But they called the entire question, the entire testing process into question. So for starters, the article revealed that the testing had not been carried out by a large team or a world-renowned expert, as you might expect, but by a relatively low-level scientist and lecturer at Teikyo University who had no previous experience conducting DNA tests on cremated material. Mm. Seems important. As you can probably imagine, it seems a little important, because DNA tests on cremated material are extraordinarily difficult. Cremation destroys all biological material. The only things left behind after cremation are your bones and teeth, which are damaged significantly by the fire. The bones and teeth are then crushed up in a process called pulverization, and then the remaining fragments or dust, depending on how thorough the pulverization is, are then mixed in with the ash remains. So I'm, I'm very sorry. My sincere apologies to anyone who is under the impression that bodies leave cremation ovens as, like, perfect boxes of ash. Sorry to pull back that curtain. Sorry to pull back that curtain, but you do end up as a, like, warped skeleton after the first round of cremation. You have to be crushed up like a tablet of Xanax that you're getting ready to snort before you're ready to be sent home in a box. Yeah, speak, speaking <laughs> of which, do not snort cremated remains. Or Xanax. I mean, that too. One I, of them's slightly less disrespectful to your ancestors. I, what, I... Uh, Snorting grandma's weird. It's just, it's not going to ruin your life the same way that Xanax I mean, will. it will ruin Christmas. <laughs> if you're going to pick one, probably pick grandma, but probably don't do either of them at the table during Thanksgiving dinner. <laughs> just get together with the family, do lines of your closest dead relative. You know. You're going to make your mom cry. <clears throat> So those bone fragment remainders and the teeth remainders are where you can sometimes still get DNA from cremated remains because the calcium stays behind. Sometimes DNA is able to survive. However, it's very difficult to extract this DNA and not every, not every pile of ashes will yield usable DNA. 
Sometimes the pulverization is too thorough, sometimes they're not in good enough condition, sometimes just no DNA survives. The man who tested the remains himself has said that his results are inconclusive, and unfortunately, since his tests use up all the available sample of cremated remains, we will never know for sure. Seems highly suspicious that the North Korean government had Megumi cremated, because this is not a country that practices routine cremation the same way that North America or Europe do. North Korea is still a country that very much practices burial of the dead. One of the big things that North Korea has done that all authoritarian, highly right-wing, highly restrictive countries do is they often make an appeal or a return to tradi traditionalism, and a traditional Korean funeral involves burial. So most North Koreans are buried, and there's very specific things that have to be done around those burials. There's very specific time frames, there's very specific ways that you have to do it. So it seems weird that when somebody who's suddenly important dies, they just shove them in an oven. That that seems odd. Yeah. It seems almost like they picked the exact method of disposing of bodies that would leave the least evidence to actually confirm whether or not this was the actual person they claimed it was. Hmm. This is a country that barely has the power grid to run a cremation oven. It, it's strange that they would only cremate people that they're mailing back to Japan. But where does that leave things now? So at the present day, North Korea still maintains that Megumi Yakota died by suicide at the age of 29, while Japan continues to exist that she's still alive, and neither country is prepared to budge on this position. Megumi's parents are both still alive, and they are in their 80s, and they both remain hopeful that they will get to see her again one day. Her father, however, is in extremely ill health, and he is not doing well. He reportedly cannot speak very much anymore, but when his family tells him that he must stay strong for Megumi, he replies, yes, I will do my best. Which is unbelievably heart-shattering. Since entering the hospital, he has kept a childhood photo of Megumi on his bedside at all times. Um, so the, the family are very hopeful that they will get to see her again before they pass away. Resolution for the abduction situation has been a central issue in peace talks regarding North Korean foreign aid and nuclear weapons since 2004, and it continues to be a central issue. So obviously one of the big things that has kind of brought new hope or has shifted the situation is that obviously the leader of North Korea has changed. We tend to characterize all North Korean leaders as equally crazy. But Kim Jong-un is a very different person from his father in ways that we don't really explore in North America. So the original announcement in 2002 was made by Kim Jong-il, who was the angry little dwarf man that controlled North Korea after the death of his own father, founder Kim Il-sung. Kim Jong-il, of course, died in 2011. The world made glorious memes. Mm -hmm. I was very sad because it meant that the blog Kim Jong-il looking at things, which by the way is fantastic and if you didn't check it out after the first part, I highly recommend that you check it out after the second part. I was just sad that Kim Jong-il looking at things would receive no more updates. Our leader had looked his last. Uncomfortable photos of Kim Jong-il staring at donuts and military equipment? What a cultural gem we have lost. His son Kim Jong-un served as the de facto leader of, South of North Korea from 2011 until last week, when he was formally declared supreme leader of North Korea. Um, Bit of an odd delay. We didn't plan this or anything, he just sort of was randomly ascended to supreme leader while we were researching the podcast. <laughs> um, we were just, you know, we thought to we celebrate, you know, <laughs> we might have an episode. We didn't know this was coming. 
Nobody knew this was coming, and I do not have intel on the operations in North Korea that the U.S. government doesn't have. I'm just an idiot with a podcast. Janelle is actually a North Korean operative in a fat suit and a wig. <laughs> <laughs> Explains your height. Wait, it's it. Oh, oh, oh. It's like being stabbed. The island that they were sent to is actually Manhattan. A2, Brutus. That's a different play entirely. Jesus, woman. Man, it was like a fat joke and a height joke. Just... One, two, punch. Right to the kidneys. Boom, boom. Oh, deep betrayal. I thought we were just going to laugh hard at me being white, but... Whew. Nope, you're a secret North Korean. I stand by it. All right, apparently I speak fluent Korean, and I, my programming runs so deep that even I don't remember. Mm, it's like the Manchurian um, candidate, except for some reason you've gone terribly wrong. And now you're just broadcasting secrets of the Kim family into... See, that's that's actually why you know that there's a secret Mormon. You've met him. You've met the <laughs> stolen Mormon. Was I born in Moncton or Pyongyang? Mm. Honestly, who can tell? They're both depressing. <laughs> but a lot of people have hoped that the change in leadership would prompt new information or a renewed investigation into the abduction issue. The problem is, it's really hard to tell what Kim Jong-un is going to do in any given situation because we know pretty much nothing about him. Kim Jong-un is the first North Korean leader to be born after the country was founded, so we don't have access to any of his early records. We kind of knew that Kim Jong-il was an unreasonable old cuss, but we at least... we knew that. We had information about him. Uh, we know so little about Kim Jong-un that we don't even know his exact age. We're not certain what year he was born. Uh, we know he was born on January 8th, but the year is uncertain because everybody has different records, and it's not certain whether the North Koreans changed his birth year to turn it into something more significant? We have no idea. Um, everything we know about him has been gleaned from a combination of secondhand records, hearsay, photographs, leaked information, combing through the bullshit and official propaganda, and then just straight-up guesswork. What we do know about Kim Jong-un is that he's in his mid-30s, that he is the third son and three of four known children of former leader Kim Jong-il. He had two other brothers, and the past tense is important. He had a half-brother named Kim Jong-nam, and he has a full brother named Kim Jong-chul, as well as a younger sister named Kim Yo-jong. If you aren't picking up on it, Kim is the surname. Asian names are flipped compared to European and North American. The whole family is not literally named Kim. That's the last name. <laughs> um, it's not short for Kimberly. We... But oh, but if it was... It's not. If you... If, if Donald Trump calls him Kimberly... Kimberly Jong-un. Put flowers on my grave because Manhattan will be a smoking crater if they call Kim Jong-un Kimberly to his face before we convince him to give up the nukes. We know that Kim Jong-un spent most of his childhood living under an assumed identity in Switzerland, which is quite a backstory. And he, he lived there with his sister, who also lived under an assumed identity. He was apparently an extremely lonely child who was extremely attached to his sister and to the family's Japanese chef, who was there voluntarily. He was not kidnapped. They just offered to pay him real nice. <laughs> it's true. They were like, well, can't take our chances with the food. We're not going to kidnap that one. That one we will hire. That one's on the payroll. Oh, if someone's making you puffer fish, you make sure they're paid. 
<laughs> yeah, that's that's probably you, you true. do not just kidnap um, a random japanese person and hope they have a talent for sushi but yeah that's all we really know about his early life we have no idea what years he was actually in switzerland we don't know if his brother was there and we don't know when he returned to north korea his sister is his closest advisor and best friend apparently and we know even less about her than we do about him so that is absolutely no help at all we know that he's married to a woman who goes by the name Ri Sul Jo, who is somewhere between 28 and 33 years of age, and she is almost definitely living under an alias because even North Korea have no records of her existence. <laughs> it's true, they, her name was probably changed upon marriage because there's just nothing before that. They have somewhere between one and three or more children, which is a very imprecise number of children. 1. Nobody 5. should ever be that uncertain Some of how many of children, children they have. Do we know uh, they have any? It's it's between we do they have they have guaranteed at least one. It is probably a daughter named Kim Jue. Kim Jue, the only non-Korean person who has ever seen any of Kim Jong Un's children or provided any evidence of their existence, and I swear <laughs> to God that I am not making this up, is Dennis Rodman. Yes, oh boy. that Dennis Rodman is the only source of information on Kim Jong Un's daughter. He was allowed to visit and was introduced to her. He says that Kim Jong Un's a great dad. Like, nice guy. They're buds. That is the strangest I, friendship. I shit you not. It's a weird country. Um, it is just so odd that this random American basketball player is, like, often one of the best routes for, like, American diplomacy. Like, Dennis Rodman has actually been extremely helpful in several different international incidents involving the Kim family. <laughs> Oh yeah, the reason that Northern California is not radioactive right now is because Dennis Rodman is buddies with Kim Jong-un. Yeah, like, they're tight. Like, they hang out. They're buds. So strange. I, I, it's The world is a mysterious place. Um, but because of him, we know that he has at least one daughter. Kim Jong-un should not have been the one in line to lead the country, but his father named him, named him the successor because his eldest half-brother was an embarrassment <laughs> and his older brother was too feminine. Un was I'm I'm not making any of this up because I honestly couldn't. Un was selected because quote he has superb physical gifts, is a big drinker, and never admits defeat, which sounds like qualities that will get an ambulance called to your frat house. It does not sound like qualities you need to lead the country. Those are not reassuring. He's a robust drunk that cannot be convinced to stop. That. <laughs> That sounds like a fun buddy to bring to a bar. Perfect. Right up until the point where he punches a cop. <laughs> yeah, who doesn't want a tubby alcoholic leading the country? Like, that's not... No, that's... That is that is an attitude that lands you in jail or the hospital and nowhere else. Except the seat of power in an autocracy. Un shares his father's fondness for foreign luxuries. He apparently loves Yves Saint Laurent cigarettes and Johnny Walker whiskey. Which are interesting choices for a 300-pound diabe diabetic with gout. I don't think they encourage cigarettes and whiskey as a remedy for that, but what do I know? And just because, like, the leader of a country with so many starving, malnourished people having gout. In his 30s. Yeah, in his 30s. Gout is a disease you get as an old man after a long life of just eating as much cheese and wine as possible. Henry VIII had gout. It is a disease of medieval kings. <laughs> it is a medieval king disease. It's difficult to even get it. You can eat... 
Donald Trump doesn't have gout, and Kim Jong-un does. So I think that's the best comparison. It's amazing. Um, you could eat KFC every day of your life and not get gout. It's very difficult to achieve. It's actually kind of an accomplishment as much as it is a medical condition. It's impressive in this day and age with modern healthcare to get gout. I mean, I wouldn't describe North Korea's healthcare as modern or probably healthcare, but <laughs> he can get what he wants. The question is, though, is Kim Jong-un different from his father, and is he going to resolve the situation? He is notably different from his father in a couple of key ways. Kim Jong-un has embraced technology and pop culture. He regularly makes addresses on television. He allows television to exist. And he has publicly attended pop concerts in North Korea, which all of these things were unthinkable for his father. His father was something of a Luddite who was reluctant to bring North Korea into the digital age. And he wasn't a fan of pop music, especially in his public life. So he's he's trying to be like the Saudi Arabian prince. He's like a fun dictator, which means hip and cool. And now I'm going to get double kidnapped. Whoever gets me first. You still get shot for dissent, but we have stand-up comedy now. <laughs> <laughs> oh, um, can you imagine being a stand-up comedian in North Korea? I'd be so sweaty <laughs> all the time. Oh, man. I'd be what so is the deal slick. With North Korean airline food. I'd be <laughs> I'd be damp. Like you if you if you hugged me, I would just like shoot off like a bar of soap. <laughs> <laughs> Human rights abuses haven't really improved a lot under Kim Jong-un. The country continues to be riddled with famine, poverty, and corruption. Treatment of detainees is pretty bleak. North Korea detained American student Otto Warmbier and tortured him to death under Kim Jong-un's leadership, which isn't fantastic. And again, uh, he almost definitely had his older brother assassinated with nerve gas at an airport in 2017. So that's a little sinister. Oh, the story is super weird. It's a super weird story. It didn't happen in North Korea. It was like Kuala Lumpur Airport. Like, if this, this happened on a layover, it was just like, boom, nerve gas. Kim Jong-un is, on the one hand, like a cold-blooded killer who is willing to make people disappear if it's politically convenient. On the other hand, though, Kim Jong-un is apparently much more concerned with the plight of his people than his father was, which is a bar so low that you can trip on it. But he apparently makes far more public appearances than his father did and is markedly warmer in disposition when dealing with ordinary citizens than his father was. Kim Jong-un is much more affected, apparently, by misfortunes that befall North Koreans, and his government actually went as far as issuing a sorrowful apology letter after an apartment building in Pyongyang collapsed a few years ago and killed dozens of people. This, the letter and its tone were said to be like highly flowery, for something to be official North Korean government correspondence. And people who knew him say that he lost a great deal of sleep over the North Korean collapse, or over the, the apartment building collapse, which is very different from his father. His Kim Jong-il gave limited fucks. He, he, he had donuts to look at, goddammit. Yeah, he's not a maximal fuck kind of dude. The family's Japanese chef, who has spoken publicly about the family on numerous occasions, said that Kim Jong-il repeatedly- Kim Jong-il. I combined him and his father into, like, some sort of anamorph. Um, if, uh, then you can make him, like, <laughs> Kim Jong-sul, and then you have, like, all three generations. Some kind of, like, weird, weird mecha great leader. The greatest like leader all the Transformers of all time. Up? Oh my god. Maybe that's their plan all along. I don't think that's what's gonna happen, but- 
Oh, they're just gonna wash up on the shore of South Korea like some kind of weird... This Pacific Rim 3 is terrible. <laughs> oh, can you imagine? That was like the new Godzilla. <laughs> it's just Kim Jong-un. We ran out of giant undersea squids and dinosaurs. Bring out the leader of North Korea. Oh, I'm getting so assassinated. I'm gonna get nerve-gassed at LaGuardia. <laughs> But apparently, Kim Jong-un repeatedly expressed guilt as a teenager for living in luxury while others lived in squalor. Apparently, as soon as he was old enough to sort of recognize the inequality that was present in his own life compared to his people's lives, he felt guilt, and he was quite haunted by that. He appears to have taken greater interest in rekindling positive international relations than his father did. His father's official foreign policy was basically just like, North Korea gives no fucks. Give us all your stuff so we can look at it. I'll let my whole people starve if we can have an ineffective nuke that can reach halfway to California. Kim Jong-un has taken greater steps to reconcile with South Korea in particular than his father or grandfather. The international community is actually in a position now where they're hopeful that he can be convinced to take action on this in the near future. Um, he's apparently quite popular in South Korea right now, which is very strange because his country isn't. He's made several public appearances in South Korea and is apparently... Warm, personable, friendly, and is said to have a great sense of humor, which is, I mean... I didn't get that okay. from any of the pictures, but, you know, I'll take your word for it. No, I did not get that from the pictures of a potato-shaped man nerve-gassing his own brother, but it's it's fine. It, it, it's kind of strange, because there is a certain core of, like, the South Koreans, like, who genuinely dislike North Korea... But at the same time, there are so many people who still have family members who were in North Korea when the split happened, who have distant cousins. And so it's harder for South Koreans to have the kind of profoundly negative, uniform opinion of North Korea that Japanese people have. There's still a lot of hope there that someday some kind of reconciliation might happen. Yeah, and, I mean, people all around the world are charmed by dictators. It's, at the end of the day, people can do horrific things, but if they have a personable, friendly, funny personality, you can kind of overlook a lot. If Robert Mugabe had cracked a few more jokes, maybe the international community wouldn't have tried to assassinate him so hard. It's hard to say. <laughs> Japanese Prime Minister Shinzo Abe is quite passionate about getting answers to the abduction situation, and critics have accused him of playing up this issue to further his own nationalist ideas. His government, on the other hand, say that they simply want closure for the families involved, as well as the safe return of any abduction victims who may still be alive in North Korea. So in 2011, after Kim Jong-il passed away, Japan reiterated that they would provide North Korea with financial incentives to pursue nuclear disarmament on the condition that North Korea form a good relationship with them. And they have made it abundantly clear that they will only form a good relationship with North Korea if they agree to resolve the abduction situation. So in other words, if you, if you don't give us back our abduction victims, we will not pay you to take your nukes apart. That's how this, that's how this has to be. It's like when you bribe a kid to get his science project done, except the science project is not causing a nuclear holocaust. So far, though, since 2011, we really haven't seen any movement on this. Families of the victims, including Megumi Yakota's family, testified at the UN in 2013, pleading for international intervention into the situation. As a result, North Korea did actually reopen the investigation in 2014 after talks with Japan. 
how much of an investigation this is is kind of up for debate. They kind of just need to go check their filing cabinet. They're not super willing to do that, though. As a result of reopening the investigation, Japan agreed to ease economic sanctions, provided that they give results. When the investigation had produced nothing by March of 2015, Japan imposed 24 months of economic sanctions. Those sanctions expired in 2017, and now we're all just kind of waiting to see how things go. Or at least we were waiting to see how things go until February of this year. So in February of 2019, the, ja the Japanese government discovered that a woman named Minoru Tanaka, um, woman? Man, I think that's actually a man. Minoru Tanaka, a Japanese restaurant worker who had disappeared in 1978, was actually alive and well and living in Pyongyang. This was not a victim that appeared on the North Koreans' official list of 13 victims, and Japan was goddamn furious about it. Because this was concrete proof that they had lied about the number of people they'd stolen. The current international diplomacy situation with North Korea in 2019 is, like, episode by itself complicated. But right now, they're in the middle of taking enormous steps to try to repair relations with South Korea and the United States, and this kidnapping thing is going to present itself as an issue. If you've been paying attention to the news at all, you've probably recalled that some sort of historic meeting between Donald Trump and Kim Jong-un went down just a couple of weeks ago. And this is where... I have to say, right now, in 2019, who is the family's best hope of getting the abduction situation resolved? Oh, no. <sighs> it is Donald Trump. I told you this was coming. You had, you had a lot of time to prepare for this. You were warned. Process. You had time to process, so now we're going to get into this. Trump met with Prime Minister Shinzo Abe in May of 2019, and while in Japan, he spoke to the families of several Japanese kidnapping victims, including the family of Megumi Yakota. He actually got to have a private meeting with her family, her mother and brother, and to hear directly from them about her case and how it was affecting them. Trump has actually directly mentioned Megumi by name in several speeches he's given in the past, including one he gave at the United Nations where he advocated for other countries to intervene in the kidnapping situation. So to give him extremely reluctant credit, he is aware of the situation and he has made an outward show of caring about it and appreciating the pain that it's caused and the gravity of the situation. Trump has also reportedly brought up the topic of Megumi Yakota and the other Japanese kidnapping victims at a meeting with Kim Jong-un that took place in neutral Hanoi. It's not clear at all whether Trump actually understands this issue, or whether he simply understands that Korea did a bad thing and this is something we can use to get leverage over Kim Jong-un when he gets tired of calling him fat and weird. Maybe he's just run out of insults and he wants to go with kidnapper. We don't really know what his motives are or how genuine he is about caring about this situation but but to his credit he is he is mentioning it he is he is keeping it in the news the japanese families are placing their hopes in trump because he has actually met with kim jong-un which is something that shinzo abe has not done shinzo abe re reluctantly and recently agreed to meet with kim jong-un with no conditions on the meeting, which is unprecedented for him, Shinzo Abe has always placed heavy conditions on meetings with Kim Jong-un that the North Koreans have never been willing to agree to. But this unconditional talk has not yet been scheduled. So right now, 
Donald Trump is sort of the only world leader who has an open dialogue with Kim Jong-un, which is fascinating for people who were insulting each other on Twitter two years ago. Didn't he say that they fell in love? Some, something uncomfortable like that. Yes, he he admires... Yeah, it was deeply weird. It was deeply weird. There's probably he, fan he fiction about all it the... on, uh, on Archive of Our Own. The political section no, on Archive if... of Our Own, by the way, fascinating. There's a lot more Bill, Bill Clinton, Hillary Clinton shippers than you would expect. If you post political pornography on our official social media sites, I will send you to live with the Amish. <laughs> this podcast will be on hiatus until you are allowed rumspringa. <laughs> uh, so the best hope we have is Donald Trump is and Trump. Dennis Rodman. He's... He, they're the only ones who are actually able to have conversations with Kim Jong-un. They're the only ones who I can say I will this. point out, though... The families involved in this situation are very cautious because they think that Trump is kind of a gullible buffoon. Oh. Which, yeah. <laughs> I mean, he, he, he... I'm not trying to get deported, but yeah, he, he is. He's, he's a very gullible man. The fact that he thinks Kim Jong-un's a nice guy who's running a great country is sort of evidence of that. It, it's sort of like the, the Bush Jr. quote about, you know, looking into Vladimir Putin's eyes. And just knowing he's a sincere good man. <laughs> I was gonna say what, and and seeing that they're they're empty and there's a little control room back there where his alien overlords pilot him. Yes, I, that I could believe. Yeah, he's got, he's got like the cold dead eyes of a shark on land. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> no, their their big concern is that Trump is a fairly gullible person, which I think most people would agree to. Trump is very easily swayed by other people, um, and Trump kind of. He prioritizes making negotiations and agreements over standing firm on his positions. He's been very back and forth with North Korea about what he thinks of them, and he's been very willing to cave to other world powers. So they're worried that Kim Jong-un will lie about wanting to address the issue and that he will pay lip service to the problem, and that Trump will buy it because Trump wants to be seen as the person who solved North Korea. Oof. Uh, Megumi's brother spoke directly to Trump and told him that Kim would lie to him about the situation being resolved, just as he had lied to Japan, and he begged Trump not to fall for it. Whether he will or not remains to be seen. So, we're ending this podcast on, on a very gloomy note, but there's no firm resolution here. The situation with North Korea is changing rapidly, but it is still incredibly volatile, and frankly, none of us are in good hands here. This is this is being carried out by people who, with questionable intentions and even more questionable abilities to communicate and negotiate. Two years ago, like I said, the President of the United States was openly making fun of Kim Jong-un's weight on Twitter like they were six-year-olds fighting on the playground, and now they are buddies. Little Rocket Man. That's, that's a relationship that we really can't count on. There's also a lot of very important talks happening. If you haven't been following the North Korea story in the news because it's incredibly tedious, it might be time to start, because whether we ever find out what happens to Megumi Yakota very much depends on a series of talks that are due to take place over the next year. Um, Kim's position in Korea is being solidified in a way that even his father's wasn't. Uh, nobody has been declared supreme leader of North Korea since Kim Il-sung. A lot of the positions that Kim Jong-il occupied in North Korea were ceremonial. He was never given the full title in the way that Kim Jong-un was. 
Uh, Kim Jong-un's wife was also officially given the title of Honored First Lady last year, and that is a position that Kim Jong-un's mother never held. The U.S. is on the brink of an election that we will not even begin to dive into. That is just a shark pit full of sharks and snakes and bigger sharks. And the South Korean people are turning weirdly pro-Kim Jong-un, so it's kind of anybody's guess at this point how the situation is going to turn out. We could get answers to Megumi's case next week, or we might never get answers as long as we live. At this point, it really could go either way. It depends on whether we reach diplomacy with a formerly hostile hermit nation, or whether we all die in World War III. Ah, uh, well, I mean, that is a bit of a silver lining. It's like a choose-your-own-adventure, but all the choices are being made by an incredibly stupid real estate agent from New York City who's never made money. Oh. <laughs> hey... He's pulled off some great Ponzi schemes. Fantastic. A man who couldn't sell steak to Americans is now going to negotiate the safe return of kidnapped victims. Hooray. <laughs> We're all gonna die. <sighs> Probably. But, um, yeah, so that that is most of the information available on the kidnapping of Megumi Yakota. It's, it's a case that really has not gotten the attention in North America that it probably deserves. And when you see North Korea on the news, you should be acutely aware that they've been holding people captive for 40-some-odd years and just pretending that they aren't, and that we are not going to reach any kind of agreement with them, or at least Japan isn't, until they take some responsibility. So, you know... They stole a whole Mormon and no one told me. An entire Mormon. They stole an entire Mormon! Everyone knows... You steal half a Mormon at best. You don't get greedy. Mormons are rare. They're hard to find. There's not enough of them to go around. Share with your sister. No, you should part... I mean, well, I guess he is, but, like... (laughs) (laughs) Whoever divides the Mormon has to choose last. That's just how it goes. You can't take the biggest piece of Mormon. North Korea only has one Mormon for the entire country... And, like, the Kim family is just hoarding it all to him all to themselves. It's just, it's disgusting is what it is. Yes, Jessica, that's the human rights abuse that I'm most concerned about in this situation. (laughs) Insufficient access to the writings of Joseph Smith among the North Korean people. (sighs) That is the tragedy that needs to be corrected. But yeah, so, uh, start digging your bomb shelter and stay away from the coastline. No long walks on the beach uh, for me. That's the best advice we can give. You can't go on long walks on the beach because of sunburn. <laughs> that is true. It has very little to do with hostile governments. I will get cancer before I <laughs> before I make it 300 feet. <laughs> I'm going to need chemo before I manage to put on my sunscreen. <laughs> you could get a sunburn from light reflected off the moon. It's <laughs> yeah, Sometimes I have the curtains drawn and I still feel toasty. You're indoors at night, and you are probably burning as we speak. (laughs) Uh, We hope that you have been deeply terrified about the risk of being kidnapped by North Korea. Um, Thank you for watching this episode. Uh, I have been Jessica. And I have been Janelle, until the North Koreans changed my name to Kim (laughs) Janelle. And we are fat, French, French, and and fabulous. fabulous.